for a few weeks in early spring, the only sounds that I heard were those of songbirds and sirens. The country battled to protect the NHS, save the lives of people struggling to breathe. The world was being forced to stop, pause and let the planet draw a collective breath. I'm Ros Miller, a mid-career medic who found herself disillusioned about healthcare in the UK long before the lockdown of 2020. Songbirds and Sirens is for anyone interested in the biggest challenges medics face today. How to practice the basic tenets of being a good doctor, simply caring for people safely, while simultaneously delivering the latest medical advances in a world of rapidly changing technology and instant gratification. From the highlands of Scotland to the hidden doors of Harley Street, I have found two consistent things. One, medics don't wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to do a bad job. Exactly the opposite, we want to help people, to have the time to care for our patients and to do our very best for them. And number two, patients, regardless of whether they are down and out or a dame, all crave exactly the same things, to be seen, to be heard, and to know that for a moment in time, at least someone cares. Songbirds and Sirens is the start of a conversation society needs to have with itself. For me, it's the chance to catch up with colleagues and some friends to find out how the last few months have changed their perspectives and influenced their values. In this episode, Donna and I get down to the nitty-gritty of ethical investing during recession, furlough and the next big project. So on to, um, again, just changing tack for the, what do you think the next three to six months are going to look like for you? Okay, so June, July and August. I think much of the same, really. With the property business, it'll stay stable. We've started to get active in the last couple of weeks. We've had an offer accepted on another one, so that's going through. So there'll be some focus on that. The construction side of things is starting to build up again. So Trev's been out doing quotes, so he's got some jobs planned in. So I think it'll be just a slow come back out of the traps for them for that side of the businesses the coaching and mentoring the actual physical mentoring we're not going back out till August so that will just be a tap turned on off we go so that that will just be an overnight difference and then the private coaching just continues I'm able to do it on zoom the only difference is with my clients I'll be able to sit one-to-one with them in the hotel where we usually meet which isn't what we're doing now so zoom is a Played a big part in my life for the last couple of months. But yeah, so I think just an increase in driving up the business is back to where they were, but not in any hurry. Nice and slow, easy paced. Yeah, because I'm still still actually enjoying it a little bit, the peace and quiet. And I'm glad I'm not having to go anywhere till August, if I'm honest. And there's been lots of talk about recession or depressions coming. Your property strategy, are you, and the coaching that you're giving to people, are you changing tack? Do you think there's different strategies that will work better to tail end of the year? Do you think it's, does it feel as if we're heading that way? Or do you think that it may not happen or things won't be as dramatic as it was in 2008? Yeah, because the government have literally held up the economy with the furlough, the grants, it doesn't feel like we're in a recession, even though we are. You know, the GDP has decreased over two quarters, which is the definition of recession. So that has happened. So on paper, we're definitely in a recession. But I don't think there's um, a lot of people feeling it because of the furlough support. That will come to an end. So 
I feel that at the back end of this year, there will be some big companies making mass redundancies and the recession will be felt a lot more. There's been a lot of support for small businesses, so it's hard to say which, how many will survive, how many won't. You know, that's going to be a wait and see, really. It's hard to put a gauge on that. But the property market generally is three to six months behind the recession. The property market is a slow mover. So at the moment, it's very, very buoyant. We had growth in April. I'm not 100% sure I haven't checked for me, but it's busy out there at the moment. It's right move announced last week. It's biggest ever hits in one day. Six million people hit right move. So it's, that's quite interesting to whether people are sick of the houses they've been trapped in for the last couple of months and, and want something different. There could be a lot of reasons. Investors are, are hot back out the traps. But the actual shift in the market, I think, will slow down, but it won't be till probably the back end of this year, early next year when it, it will follow on. And I don't think it will be tragic. I think it will dip, but there'll be a big recovery. We do change our strategies to suit. Unfortunately, there will be people that will struggle to hold on to their houses. But, you know, we have strategies where we can help people. We can have avoiding repossessions. We have win-win solutions that can help a lot of people in the property market in a downturn like this. So there'll be opportunities for us and opportunities for us to help others if the market does downturn, which yeah, I think it will. Yeah, I think the big difference, it almost feels as if the downturn is going to come, you know, almost in the planned way. We can give it enough of a hint that it's about to come, unlike, you know, 2008 and 2011 or whenever the other one was, that um, it just happened overnight and you were kind of like, whoa, what's happened there? So, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of tenants in particular will be able to have time to start to readjust and to start to look at potentially switching properties if they've got a landlord that's got a big portfolio that can move them into someone that's more affordable for them and things like that. So, you know, hopefully it it is bad when these things happen for people. But, you know, if you can give somebody a decent home at the end of it and get them rehoused in something that they can afford, then that will take away a lot of the stress and anxiety of the financial worry of what potentially might come. Yeah, ethical investing is, is a big part of what we do. You know, we do try to help. We're not rogue landlords. You know, we don't deliver slums where people are living in grime and charging the earth and trying to tip them out with a, an hour's notice. That's not how we work. That's not what we're made of. So it, it will be some difficult times for people coming within our industry, but we are able to help a lot of people. And we can even stop repossessions and we can help with their debt management. There's a lot of things we can do for people. And so then let's go forward five years. What does life look like for Donna in five years' time? (laughs) Uh, I don't think I'll ever stop investing. It's in my blood. I love property. I love the whole looking at um, a stinky building and visualising, you know, the beautiful end product. That drives me. That is definitely a passion. So... I think I'll still do that, but I'm just obviously on a very smaller scale. I won't be out hunting aggressively for deals. I think, you know, the ones that I do do will just be things that come to me, you know, through conversations. Relaxation. Yeah. My life has been a very, very, very busy fall a lot of the time. I've done the two jobs everybody thinks they can do. Everyone thinks they can run a pub. Everyone thinks they can be a property investor. It's quite quite (laughs) funny, really. (laughs) Well, I can tell you from the other side that, you know, both have took hours and hours and hours of hard graft and labour in the past. So, yeah, I think five years from now, a little bit of investing, a lot of travelling, winter travelling and summer relaxing. We've got a big project going on at home at the moment, trying to create a nice 
space for us to to relax in. So, yeah, I'd seen myself spending some lazy summers at home, traveling a lot through the colder months, and um, just doing what I do now, but on a smaller scale. Lots of gins in the sun. Where would be your bucket place to go? I haven't been to Australia or New Zealand, so they are very high, especially having some family out in Australia. Um, two first cousins that have been born out there that haven't met. So that's high on the list to get out there. I don't like to go to the same place twice. I have a bucket list of doing seven New Year's on seven continents. So, um, yeah, that will be part of the plan. Definitely. Cold months again, you see, I want to be away in the cold. And, yeah, a bit more of South Africa. I love that. Although I don't like going to the same place twice, I think I'd like to go back to the Bahamas. That was very nice. And South Africa, very nice. Yeah, there's a couple of places I'd like to go again. But yeah, just new. I like new. I like to see new places, new experience. But the actual bucket list is the seven New Year's on seven continents. You've talked a lot about ethical investing. Is there a part of you that sees yourself either drifting or purposefully going into more humanitarian or philanthropic type endeavours? Not on a grand scale. I think... There's a couple of things I want to do, and one of them is already started just before the lockdown. So I, I'm not one for going in and building a school abroad. I think that's just not me. But what I do want to do is I've got a plan for a dance academy for underprivileged young adults just to learn to dance and have some fun and exercising, bringing exercise to them. And this probably is driven around my mum. I think a lot of elderly people get quite lonely. You know, she can go a few days, especially when I'm away of not seeing anybody. And my dad's the opposite. My dad goes out every day, even though he goes to the local and has a few beers. You know, they live in the same house, but very opposite lives. So I want to do something in the community and then multiply it. Just sort of like the community centre type vibe where they can go and enjoy time with other people, you know, and experiences, day trips. Nothing that's that's revolutionary, nothing that's not done be, been done before, but a lot of councils can't afford to do that anymore. And these places are going by the by, and I think they're, you know, they're pretty critical in adult life. So that's what we're, the Dance Academy has started. We're just finding the right premises now for the older generations. I don't even know what to call it yet, but yeah, that's on the agenda for next year, maybe. The year after, really next year, yeah. See, probably as a result of COVID and the time that you've had to think, what are your fears for the future for yourself and society? And then the next part would be your hopes. What do you think it really will allow to change? I think for me, they're um, one and the same. I think that what has happened during this pandemic is that community spirit and togetherness has come from nowhere. People are talking to each other in the closes and V-Day, what a day, you know, the street parties, people out, even though no one could get close to anybody, you know, that that whole community spirit was amazing. And I think what's happening in our communities with people helping everybody and that nice sense of belonging that we're getting at the moment and coming out on a Thursday evening and clapping and everything that's happened all around community support and spirit, I think, has been amazing. So my fear is that that goes away. My hope is that it stays. So it's, it's one of the two, I think. I'm not fearful of anything. I was changing. I think the world will gradually try to get back to what was normal. I think normal will be different in some ways. But yeah, I'm hopeful that that whole community 
bit sticks, you know, and that everybody stays the way they have been helping people and sheer courtesy for each other as well. It's, it's been really real pleasure. Really nice. And then just finally, completely different. So you can pick from anybody from present or the past, who would be your five people to have a, a dinner party? Oh, see, my opinion has changed over a couple of people in it. There's that saying, <laughs> isn't there? There's that saying that they say um, when the tide's out, you see people swimming naked, don't you? So, yeah, I did have some kind of heroes, but they're, um, yeah, one or two of them has changed. So five people at a dinner party. Alan Sugar, I just love his bluntness. That's got to be one of them. Oprah, another. Such an absolute inspirational woman. See, Branson was the one I've changed my mind on him. Uh, Why? Just the whole kind of like, you know, multi-billionaire and then trying to get government help. You didn't need it. Just that, just the whole, you could have impacted and helped a lot better at the beginning of this crisis rather than... Yeah. Yeah, just small, small opinion like that. Oh, Boris. We've got to have Boris. <laughs> sheer fun. <laughs> I'd like to say Trump too, just so I can stick pins in his eyes. But that'd be yeah, no, well, it <laughs> he may not last the year, I think. But no. Um, no, no, no. It's a completely other six-hour conversation, isn't it? Yeah. How many is that? Sugar? Sugar, Oprah and Boris you've given me. Boris. God, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head. You can go back into history, anybody that you would have liked to have done from the past. Oh, that might be too political. <laughs> yeah, you can go for it. No, go for it. And, and this bit, mate, this bit won't necessarily go out. So it's just more for my own interest. There was a um, lady called Grace way back in the Irish political stock. I remember her surname now. That's mad that that slipped my mind because, yeah, she's an amazing. What did she do? She was married to a hunger striker. Okay. Yeah, and they shot him, so she married him before she shot him. Very, very political, all wow. very old Irish history. Wow. And then she went on hunger strike herself and died in the same prison that he was shot. Yeah, it's wow. very, very sad love story, if you like, yeah. based all around the yeah. politics at the time. Yeah. Can't think of anybody else right now. Any actor or pop star or anybody like that or um, sports personality? <laughs> well Channing Tatum just for looks let's just go with that just some eye candy that I could look at <laughs> see that Channing Tatum just so he can dance again, I didn't get who it was Channing Tatum I love a man that can dance just so he can dance <laughs> <That's and laughs> and I can watch <laughs> you know it's fascinating everyone that I ask the question to male and females they always want somebody for eye candy it's hilarious <laughs> Yeah, that man. I get fixated by guys dancing. If a guy can dance, I'll watch all night and that boy can dance. <laughs> and then my last question to you, being a female, do you think it's so, do you recognise that you have broken through some glass ceilings and barriers? And do you think that the world has changed now for women? Yeah, yeah. I'd say coming through a career especially in the 80s when I started in the pubs and clubs. You know, it was a very male-dominated area. And, you know, no one ever looked at me seriously as to have a career in that. Yet I made it all the way up to area manager for um, a big PLC, operating 14 pubs with a P&L that was multi-millions. So, yeah, so definitely there. And 
being awarded as well in that trade. I think that that was a big movement watching that over the years from, you know, I was 30 years in that trade. So it changed massively over that time, the trade in itself, but as well how women became more integrated in that over the years. As a female now, yeah, absolutely established. I don't think that we can be put down in any way anymore. You know, there's nothing that I can't achieve that the guy next to me can achieve. And in fact, I think there's, a, there's areas that we excel. You know, we haven't got egos. You know, we haven't got testosterone. And I think there's some of the things that hold a lot of guys back. So, yeah, you know, no reason why that, why we can't. Absolutely. Great. That's brilliant. Thanks ever so much. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. <laughs> I have always thought of myself as a third generation carpenter and a second generation bone and joint surgeon. Chatting with Donna McCluskey has reminded me that it's not what you do that defines you. Life is about who you are and your values. At the end of the day, whether the tool is a scalpel or a saw, we share the same passion and purpose in life, reassuring people that somebody cares. In a career that spans a decade as a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, working both in the National Health Service and the private sector, I've had the privilege of meeting and treating fascinating individuals from all walks of life, from single mums and factory workers to actors, business leaders and politicians, with the occasional lord and lady along the way. This moment in time has brought fear, but also hope, and most importantly, an intense desire for change. It's up to society, not politicians, not governing bodies, and not the media, to decide what our collective future should be. You can follow Songbirds and Sirens via Facebook, Twitter, or on Instagram. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to find out more or if you would like to contribute to the conversation, please get in touch. Mm-hmm.